Welcome to the latest episode of the Ketosis Real Growth Podcast. In this latest podcast, Mash Patel, CEO of Ketosis, and Jean-Francois Utermail, Principal of Terrace Novus Consulting, will discuss the current investment management landscape and how the recent global crisis is disrupting the industry. Enjoy. So Jean-Francois, good morning and very nice to have you on our podcast. May I say under the most unusual of circumstances. So, um, and I'm sure we will talk about that in, in, in the next half an hour, but a warm welcome to you and thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Um, we've got a lot to cover and had this been one month ago, we would have jumped straight into the main topic of the industry, which as short ago as one month ago was ESG, but the world has changed since then and the talking points have changed significantly no more so than in investment management and COVID is the obvious place to start. But before I go into that, if you don't mind, I, I know you and you've had a long and distinguished career, but would you mind introducing yourself and sharing a little bit with the audience about your background and what brought you here today? Thank you very much, Marsh. It's, it's a real pleasure to be with you today. Yes, it's a bit unusual circumstances, but it's not, not so bad. So, uh, as you said, my name is Jean-François Tmul, and I am the founder and the principal of a fairly new consultancy called Terre-Neuve Consulting, uh, which is focusing on investment product, product strategy, product marketing, and fund selection, among other things. And I work with uh, asset managers primarily uh, in Europe as well as in the U.S. I've been in the investment management business for over 25 years. I couldn't believe it myself, but yes, it is. <laughs> and most recently, I was with JP Morgan Asset Management, where I built the product strategy team for Europe. I also worked for Unicredit Private Banking in Munich and in Milan, where I ran the pan-European fund selection team. So I have an interesting experience that I've seen both sides of the fence as a buyer as well as a seller of investment products, which gives me, a, I think, a, a different perspective on how things are being done. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you. And um, our listeners won't get to hear the, the bet that we were talking about before and we didn't record was... Um, you, you were saying you were flattered to be joining a call and I, I, I must say that I'm extremely flattered that you've joined because as you allude, your your career has taken you to on both sides of the fence and um, you very much, I feel, have a unique view of the industry and where it's going um, and have that knowledge of the persona. Um, so without further ado, let, let's talk about the current crisis because, you know, this is a period of volatility from my perspective, you know, the client communication issue is a big choke point for asset managers. What, what would you expect as a fund selector? What would you be wanting to hear in periods like this, which can only be described as a crisis? Uh, well, yes, it's definitely a crisis and it's a very challenging environment for, for most fund selectors. To be fair, I sympathize totally with them and I'm actually fairly happy selfishly that I'm not in that position anymore. Uh, because you have to understand on the one hand, uh, fund selectors have to keep an eye on what's going on, what the markets are doing, and also how the product they have selected and recommended are actually performing in, this, in that environment. So that, that's one side. Um, on the other side, they also are facing a barrage of questions, queries from their distribution partners and, and, and investors 
who are looking at uh, reassurance and are probably extremely anxious. So those are the two things we have to take a look at. From an asset management standpoint, I would expect them to first respond to the queries from the fund selectors in a timely and transparent manner. That's something that actually can help having conversations with their distribution networks and sort of calm things down with the investors, so with the right information. And that's exclusive, and that's a challenge in itself because most asset managers have multiple clients, multiple uh, which they need to respond to as well. So it's 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 uh, not 24/7 at the moment. I would imagine on this. I would also expect them to communicate extensively. Uh, I'm not sure that over, over communicating is a good thing, but as long as you provide insights on what's going on with the market, how it impacts the portfolios, helping again the fund selectors to convey that information down to the distribution channels and the, the end client. I would think that there's a couple of areas which I think need to be quite a good focus on at the moment. One of them would be liquidity, as a lot of investors are unfortunately pulling out of certain strategies uh, and unfortunately realizing losses. But liquidity is going to be a key issue that people need to understand and risk management. And basically, the message there is asset managers need to reassure their distributors that they are in control of what's going on and they have everything and they actually can manage the current crisis effectively that's that's super interesting to hear and you know those those things that you mentioned are right top of mind of fund selectors all across the industry and you i don't want to say that you're old you and me are both at the that same stage of our career where we've seen the asset management progress yeah. if you like over the last 25 30 years so you're yeah. calm you're you're confident if, if you were advising a fund selector today, perhaps at, at the early or middle stages of your career, what, what, sort of, what sort of personality and what sort of characteristics are you, would you be looking for as a fund selector? And what, that, that person, what sort of raw materials would they need to support their fund selection process at this time? Well, because, well, first of all, they have to have a good head on their shoulders and definitely <laughs> a sense of calm at the moment. They obviously have to be analytical uh, and next to that be inquisitive. So they basically know they could be CIA agents. I mean, they really need to go deeper into the what's going on. So analytics and inquisitiveness is actually quite important. They also have to be personable and honest. And they also have to have, I think, common sense and be down to earth. I mean, despite what everybody would think, you no know, fund selection is not really a rocket science. So uh, if you have a good, a good head and a, a, a sensible way of looking at things, this is, this is quite important. And you have all the, you know, able to use the tools that are at your disposal under one form or another. I think it's an important point because even in my mind, you know, I, I kind of grew up in the industry thinking fund selection was a quantitative discipline and it was full of mathematics but actually what you're saying is it's it's much different to that in, in terms of a top rate fund selection team which i have no doubt you ran in your career when you were on that side of your the fence yeah. 
Um, what sort of tooling did you have? What, what sort of technologies did you use? Or was it very much face-to-face -face dialogue and interview well, stuff? There, there was, I mean, there's a two, there are two sides to it. There are the technology, there are the tools. And, and to be fair, no, that was about 10 years ago. So the tools have totally evolved uh, since mm. then. We had a great machine, uh, which basically was running uh, for all of the asset classes on Morningstar, a number of analytics in terms of consistency of performance, uh, peer ranking of performance, and then um, basically helping us do the, the, the screening part of it. Because you know, we have so many funds, when you have over 30,000 funds in, in, in the, to, to, to choose from, you need to be able to actually look at them from a quantitative standpoint uh, and make sure that you, know, you you are not you know, choosing dogs, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Enough, the same methodology we used when I was at JP Morgan looking at our focus on this. So you've got this massive machine behind you. And again, those machines become more and more sophisticated uh, over time. The number of other tools people can use. The other side, which is actually, uh, that's that's a good, is the, the communication aspect of it and the ability to actually talk to fund managers. I mean, uh, another set of skills that I, I expect from a fund selector is to have great communication skills. You have to be direct. You have to be able to challenge what a portfolio manager is, uh, are saying or a salesperson are saying from the other side. If you don't understand, try to make sure that you know, it's all very clear. You also have to have the ability to say no. Yeah. I know it sounds fairly obvious, but it's not always the case. You just have to say, no, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. And in the role that I had at any credit, we were working with a limited number of asset managers, which we call preferred partners. And you know, everybody came to, tell, to talk to us about, you know, we have this wonderful strategy that you should have on your platform. And you have to go say, no, thank you very much. Which leads to the last part, which has, you need to be, to be able to explain your decisions. No, whether it's a yes or it's a no, you have to be able to say, well, this is why we're doing this. Um, this is how we're doing this. This is why we don't like this product. And to be fair, it's actually not that complicated. Uh, and a lot of the asset managers actually appreciate the fact that you're being direct and honest with them, which, which I think is important. From that perspective, that I mean, I work with a lot of fund promoters, asset managers, and you know, they are ever trying to find new tools to engage key personas like fund selectors. And I, I don't feel that it's getting aggressive at all, but their job is to sell to you. How did you ensure that you were independent and how did you evidence that independence to internally to the relationship managers and the salespeople on your side who needed to be able to justify selections to their um, clients? That's, that's, that's a very, very good question. And actually, uh, because we were changing totally the way uh, the, set, the fund selection was being done and any credit, we had a lot of skepticism originally, uh, but uh, in the end, we, we won them over. Uh, a, because the selections that we were making were good and we had you know, senior management support in what we were doing. I think the key thing is basically build a partnership between the various stakeholders, be it distribution network, the asset managers, and, and also the marketing team. So you actually 
get a sense of everybody's on the same page, everybody's talking about the same thing, and we all in, we all in agreement. So that that requires, however, a culture of openness and transparency from all sides. So you you, you need you need to you know you need to be able to 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 have that. And the only way you can do it, in my mind, again, is you have to be able to explain what you're doing, how you're doing it, why you are doing it. And over time, people, they look at you at first a bit suspiciously, but at the end, over time, it actually, it actually works. You will not win everybody, but if you win the majority, then you're, you're in good shape. And last but not least, one thing that we did, which is actually quite odd, is we had one of the institutional consultancy look at our selection process and basically validated and audited. Uh, audited and validated and said, that this is a good process, we, we stand behind it. So th- that helped a lot in terms of our credibility. Yeah, understood. And the, um, now you obviously run a successful consulting business today and people can lean into your many years, decades of experience. How would you, if I was a client, how would you say to me that fund selection has changed in the last decade? Has it changed? Do you think it's the same discipline? Or would you be advising me of things that are modifying that process and how I should be thinking about selection? I don't think the process in itself changes in a sense that you have to have a quantitative side of it to actually make sure that you are picking the right products or the products that actually are best fitted to what you're trying to do. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean the, the, the top quartile product, but uh, in terms of the investment part, you know, what's happening, you need to understand that. Personally, believe nowadays, I mean, that's a, that, and that's a, a theme that I carry out with the, the number of the, the firms I'm working with, is now where in the world now you either complement or replace somebody. Mm. So you have to be able to demonstrate that your product is actually either a complement to what they already have, or if they're having challenges with some of their other managers, that you can replace that part, the, the, that product that's in trouble with your own product. So that's, that's the only way you can go. So in that sense, the selection process doesn't really change. There's a quantitative side of it. There's also a qualitative side of it, which is extremely important because at the end of the day, you have as a selector to agree and to believe and to be totally convinced of the selections you are making and stand behind them. And the other part, but that being said, the, the market has totally changed in terms of the asset classes that are uh, in, um, no, now in favor. I mean, you know, it was fairly straightforward when I was at Credit because it was primarily equities, bond, and some, it wasn't even called multi-asset but that was very straightforward. Now, equity and fixed income and multi-asset are main main asset classes. We have to be able to understand all of them. But then you have the arrival of anything that's alternatives. And no, we're not talking about only about hedge funds, we're talking about infrastructure, you're talking about real estate, you're talking about private debt. Uh, And those are totally different animals altogether, uh, which means that you need to be able to have selectors who actually have a an understanding or experience with those classes to actually 
get it. And I know, for instance, that the, the, the team at Unicredit now has a couple of people in the team who actually have that kind of background. That's one thing. The, the other thing also is that you've got now an increasing number of tools that people can use. Uh, and you know, you've got the, the traditional morning stars, and, and, but you now have much more focus on factor analysis, style analysis, basically tools that actually allow for more granular selections and help better refine the portfolio construction. And of course, the selectors need to understand and be conversant with those tools. Yeah. I actually met a distributor the other day who was building a team of surveyors because they were property experts and they wanted to yeah. be able to have deep knowledge of property investments, even though they were investing through the funds. So interesting mm -hmm. that the kind of range of people in the fund selection team is more defined to accommodate all of those classes. That yeah, in, in, the of, yeah exactly. in the case of infrastructure and, 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 uh, and real estate, though, if you don't understand the dynamics of, of those industries and, and of, of, of the projects and, and, and how a manager actually selects one project versus another or one building versus another, you're lost. Totally. So slightly adjacently, Let's do a bit of role play. Cast your mind back to Unicredit or one of your previous positions. And yes. I'm not on your shelf. I'm an asset manager. I'm not on your shelf. You don't know much about me, but I'm knocking on your door. How best would you advise me to promote to you in terms of the information and data that you're looking to have and how best to educate yourself? I'm knocking hard at the door, but what gets me in the door? Well, what <laughs> it's happened so many times. I mean, I had a really good, you know, had a, had a really good excuse in a sense that we were working with ten uh, asset managers. So if you're not on the list of the ten, uh, you know, you you you, you are out of luck. That list was reviewed by every year or something like that because some of the managers were doing it or not. And again. You, the way, I would, uh, the way I would go about it is basically explain to you why we only have 10, uh, which was basically because what you have extended, no, very deep relationship with them, and we wanted to have managers with ex no, an extensive product range so we can play around with them, um, as well as um, no, the ability to actually work together. So that, that's, that was one thing. That being said, uh, do not call me every single week. Because <laughs> my, my position is not going to change every single week. And, but that being said, and some of the managers that we approached us uh, kept on you know, bringing new ideas to us or new insights and, 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 and tried to show us that uh, we could, you know, where they could add value to, where they could add value to us. And, and in that sense, that was, you know, Invite me to your road shows uh, when you have them. Let me change quite dramatically after what's happened now, but uh, or your webinars. So actually, I get to better understand what what you are about and how you can make my my life easier. And you know, whenever I do change, I make changes. You know, we, for instance, we went from ten to twenty before I left because we were taking over the. Uh, discretionary portfolios, um, which means that you need a broader range of, of managers and strategies. If you're respecting my, my wishes of not being bothered every single week uh, and being you know, uh, 
a good introducer that I, I, I have you in mind, on top of my mind. And, and, and when I go for, to look for another manager, I say, oh, I remember this guy, he hasn't talked to, he hasn't talked, I haven't talked to him in a bit, but if they had interesting stuff to say, let me talk to him. I see. And, and, and back to your role, again, role yeah. playing in Unicredit. When you made a selection, how did you communicate that selection to your relationship managers and sales managers? How did you furnish them with your, your decision-making criteria so they would be convincing when they spoke to their own clients? Well, actually, we did two things. Um, we were putting out, uh, on a quarterly basis, uh, what we would call a product catalog, which was basically covering all of the asset classes that uh, our CIO was interested in and, and, and she was looking at and, and, and working with. Um, so we, and for, in, in, and for each of those asset classes, we have a, no, a limited number, three, four sometimes, of firms that we would recommend. So that product catalog came out every quarter and was distributed throughout the network. And the networks were not supposed to buy any other fund but those on the catalog. That being said, every quarter we'd also have a conference call or a meeting uh, with uh, the key distribution heads to go through the, to go A, through the, as the asset allocation calls that the, the, the CIO was making in terms of which asset classes she felt uh, oh, she would underweight, overweight, or be good what about. We would then link that to the product available and you know, highlight the changes that we've made and explain again why we're making those changes. Uh, which, um, and we would have some products which would be perfectly fine. And then we have some products we would put on watch for a period of time because we knew that the clients couldn't get out of it really quickly. So, and you know, you have to give the benefit of the doubt to a manager who's not doing well for a period of time. So that came on a quarterly basis. And it's it, you know, over time again. It it sort of build the credibility of the team. Of course, every single time we would remind them. You know, it's one page on how we go about selecting funds. So they they, they they had that as background as well. Now the, the other thing which was interesting and actually, from what I remember, we were the only ones to do it when I was doing that. Is we were sending the product catalog to all of the asset managers which were part of the program. I see. So they would know exactly who's doing what, who has what, who is on watch. Um, and that's, again, it's, it's, a good, uh, it's a good way to be very transparent uh, with, your, with your asset managers and not to create surprises. I mean, the number of times you realize it's happened a number of times with, with, a, with another group, uh, which will remain nameless. Uh, where they were not, they would go through the whole due diligence process and don't tell you anything. Whether you're on the list, you're not on the list, whether you're in, you're out. That was a no-no as far as I was concerned and I was, my team was concerned. Whenever we were doing a evaluation of a fund, we would tell you at the end what was the result. Yes, no. That's simple. I think that's wise, right? Because then you know why you're not on the list and what you may need to do to get on the list. Uh, totally, and it makes further conversation easier. And, right. and 
The other thing is it's happened a number of times uh, where, um, you know, if, you, if you've got a fund managers coming and say, well, no, sell, uh, no, no, we've got the greatest Asian equity fund in the world, okay? It's got top decile performance, track record of 10 years, manager, blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine. And then there's only one problem. We're on the wait. And we already have three products. We don't need another one. Thank you very much. We'll look at it if you know, we get into Asia in the, in, the, in the future, if we have a positive view on Asia. But for the moment, stay put. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I have two more questions. Um, I yes. could talk to you all day, Jean-Francois. You've got so much knowledge. But two more questions. Go ahead. And keeping with the theater of where we are today well, and, yeah. <laughs> and COVID, yeah. Could you imagine if this becomes the new norm and many, including you and I talked about off camera, off voice, that yeah. you know, this could be the new norm. Could you see fund selection process becoming completely digital and everything being done through Zoom or whatever the tool is for conferencing and through just information flow? I think it's a question of how you communicate. It's not a question of the, the, the process itself may change and will change. I would be, I'd be very intrigued to see what uh, AI will do in terms of funds and will help in fund selection uh, or competitive analysis, for instance, right, to see exactly what's, what's going on there. So I haven't really looked at it very closely lately, but that to me is, would be a, uh, an enhancement of the, of the fund selection process. Uh, when it comes to the, as you said, the, the communications part of it, that is becoming, uh, yes, it's going to become more and more challenging. You know, as, uh, no, I'm a big proponent of seeing the fund manager. No, I personally believe I'm very old-fashioned that way. Uh, I like salespeople and I like client portfolio managers, but no, you, once in a while you really have to see the guy or the woman who's actually pulling the trigger. Yeah. And, uh, and the challenge there has been that no, if you get them to do marketing or traveling or talking to clients, it becomes, you no, know, it takes on from their primary responsibility, which is managing money. I think with the development of, you no, know, Zoom and other type of electronic communication as we have now, people are becoming much more comfortable. You, you, you'll be able to actually do that much, much more often. Uh, another thing which... I think will be quite good uh, in going forward is the, the explosion of uh, podcasts and, and webinars and, 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 other, uh, and other tools that you, know, you can have, have access remotely or when you're traveling, that type of thing. That, that to me is, 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 would be good. The challenge though is that at the moment, uh, a lot of them are far too long and far too boring. You lose people's attention within you know, 15 minutes. So the people have to learn to actually make their, their, their to, to, to craft their message in such a way that it's impactful, informative, and, and short. No rambling about. I think the main message I get from you is that the information needs to be concise and short because you're overloaded as a fund selector with information. Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's no you. One, one thing which is very clear and no, 
from that, and I've been, I've been working with the marketing teams in, in, in the department of fund they seldom understand this, but no, fund selectors or distributors are flooded with information. So it's a question of not the number and amount of information you get, but uh, it's a question of how you make it digestible, easy to understand, easy to use as well, and actionable. The number of thought pieces that I've seen from a number of asset managers which basically say the same thing, you have to be actually to, you have to go through the discipline of thinking very clearly what you want to say. And there are two tools I've been using quite extensively. Uh, one of them is what I would call the, the six stories, where you basically summarize everything you have to say in six words. Mm. Uh, that's pretty, dr pretty drastic, but if you want to identify the key differentiators of a strategy, just try to do it in six words. <laughs> I think most asset managers would struggle, but let's try. I, I can tell you they will struggle. Now, the other thing which I've been, I've been a, a, I'm a big, big fan of is mind mapping, uh, which basically what you do is you create an outline of what you want to say, again, using two thousand six words. It's okay, these are the things that I need to say. And then if you have that framework in place, then you can start writing, you can start producing stuff, you can start putting together. This is what I've done with the question you gave me today, just or yesterday, it's like, okay, these are the things I want to say, yeah. and that's it. And that becomes much more effective. I mean, as I, as I said to you the last time, not everybody is Jane Austen or Tolstoy or John Grisham. And most people are not, actually. And people need to keep that in mind. If you lose, no. If you lose the attention of your audience you know, at the end of the first page, you're lost, basically. Yeah. The conciseness is the key. Effective, but, but you, know, you, you, can be, um, you can be insightful, but it has to be relevant and, and, and really add something to the conversation. Yeah. Okay, so last question, Jean-Francois. Go ahead. COVID is obviously the topic of the day, but I think we both agree that the enduring topic of the industry is ESG. I personally yeah. feel that COVID might illuminate the whole ESG mission or movement, if you like. How do you think ESG will play out? Uh, fund buyers looking for much deeper transparency so they can nuance selection around ESG as much as the asset managers think? Is that the way it's going? Well, interestingly enough, I mean, there been some um, interesting first, though, recent reports saying that ESG strategies and funds have performed better than more traditional fund groups since the beginning of the crisis, which is encouraging because it actually shows that there's no drag uh, in performance or, or the ESG is, is a viable issue. Um, my sense and we start seeing that with institutional clients and institutional portfolios, ESG has to be fully embedded in the investment process and to become, uh, become part of the DNA of, of the firm. You can't make it overnight. And if you've seen, I don't know if you've seen the latest report from um, Share Action um, on, on they've been ranking asset managers based on their ESG performance. A lot of them are not doing well. There's a long way. There's a long way way to go for them. That being said, with no more and more clients on the institutional side and uh, 
on the retail side with millennials and people being more concerned about the no, climate change and, 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 and a number of other, of other issues. Fund select, select fund buyers will need to require more transparency on ESG from the asset managers. I mean, how is it integrated in your product? If you have a product that's, it's easier when you have an ESG label product, uh, if you have a climate change product, if you have a water product, if you have those, no, those thematic products, that's easier because that's part of the investment process. But on the, on the more traditional side, if you start integrating ESG into your, um, into your product, you have to be much more transparent in terms of explaining why you're doing this. Yeah. As I said, it's an enduring topic and perhaps one for yes. our next get together. With time in mind, Jean-Francois, I, I, I wanted to thank you for spending that time with me and going through these questions. I hope in more sociable times you and I can continue this discussion face to face and I hope that time is not yes. far away. But I love that, that. Thank you. That whole thing around ESG and how we emerge from COVID and just your insights into the very nature of how fund selection is um, maturing and and in many ways, how it hasn't changed has been extremely insightful for me and I hope our listeners. So once again, thank you so much for spending the time with us. And I truly look forward to seeing you face to face very soon. Well, Mash, thank you so much. It, it was a pleasure. It was very, it was a, it was a good session. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you.